I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. But I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR. Welcome Dale. Episode Earnhardt seven. Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is Anyone? on the phone. Podcast Air. Spring America. Air Tour Sports Wait. Podcast. It is yeah. Monday, oh, September twenty fifth. 2023 people i hope everybody's doing i hope everybody enjoyed just an incredible saturday of college football and i hope everybody is ready for a jam-packed monday episode of the aaron torres pod we're calling this the coaches gone wild edition because these coaches were out in these streets acting a fool (laughs) so much to get into we're going to start ohio state notre dame yes you know thriller down to the wire and then ryan day calling out lou holtz of all people Lou freaking Holtz. It was surreal. We're going to discuss that. From there, Colorado losing to Oregon. What does it mean for Colorado? Also, Dan Lanning, some interesting pregame, some interesting halftime stuff. I actually had no problem with it. I think there was something else at play that nobody's talking about. And then from there, we'll wrap with the rest of the college football weekend that was. Alabama takes care of business against Ole Miss. Clemson, just a complete meltdown against Florida State. Uh, Washington looked awesome. USC's defense did not. Washington State coach, by the way, went off on Lee Corso. Like I said, a crazy weekend in college football. We'll try to get to it all. Before we get started, quick reminder, make sure you subscribe to the Aaron Torres podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show. Uh, Make sure if you're listening on YouTube, click that little subscribe button down there. You see it. I know you see it. Make sure. Follow us here. Uh, Really appreciate everybody's support as we close in on 27,000 subscribers. Also, on all the social media platforms at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Pod on TikTok. That's right, we're there now. And Twitter, Aaron underscore Torres. All right, enough about my social media accounts. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the topic of the day in a wild weekend of college football. And I'll say this: like, like we could start in a lot of different places, but there really is only one appropriate place to begin, and that is beautiful South Bend, Indiana. We knew this was the biggest game coming in. Top 10 matchup, two big brands, and this game really did deliver in what I can only describe as one of the great finishes. It's not hyperbole. One of the great finishes we've ever seen in a college football regular season game. I, I and let, let, Let's just dive into it because I could do the whole in the third quarter this thing happened and in the second quarter on the first possession. Like, no. What you need to know what everybody cares about is the final 90 seconds of this game. 
Because like I said, it was back and forth. It felt like both teams had control at various points. And Notre Dame did have a 14-10 lead with about 90 seconds left. Ohio State gets the ball back. Their first-year quarterback, Kyle McCord, not first year in the program, but first year as a starter, gets the ball, and he puts together just a brilliant drive. Again, about 90 seconds left on the play clock, completes a third and 19 at the Ohio State 22, or the Notre Dame 22, excuse me, gets within the five-yard line, and then the entire game comes down to one play. Ryan Day calls a run. They give it to a kid named Chip Trainum. He punches the ball in. Ohio State scores. They take the 16-10 lead, 16-14 lead, kick the extra point, and end up winning 17-14. And what I would say about this game, it was a classic. It was a thriller. I saw a stat that it was actually the first time since the Michael Crabtree game, Texas Tech and Texas, that a top 10 matchup was decided on the final play from scrimmage of the game. That was 15 years ago, so you know it was a big deal. Um, And I think my only real takeaways on the game itself was you could tell what this game meant based on the emotions of those involved. The Notre Dame fans were in shock. The Notre Dame players were in shock. I mean, I can picture in my head right now Sam Hartman just staring blankly, just having no idea what just happened to him. But you know who was the most emotional person of all after that game? It was Ryan freaking day, which we got to talk about because as good as the game was, and it was an all-timer, and I'll, I'll share some thoughts later. The story of this game, it was partly the Ohio State win. It was partly what it means for them, for Notre Dame, for the playoff picture, whatever. But it was really what happened after the game. As out of all people in the world, Ryan Day called out Lou Holtz after this game. Lou freaking Holtz. Ryan Day called him out in the post-game interview and then again in the press conference. And so I want to get into it. I want to give you some context, but this is just a wild thing. If you had Ryan Day calling out Lou Holtz on your bingo card, drive straight to Vegas, bet everything you own on red or black you pick because this is just surreal. So let me give you a little bit of a backstory here. And where this all stemmed from, and I had no idea at the time, but Notre Dame was honoring their 1988 national championship team over the weekend. That part I kind of knew. But why I bring it up, Lou Holtz and so many of his former players were back on campus. And Lou Holtz, like you tend to do, you're returning to the old, uh, it's not his alma mater, but you know the, the, the school that he led to glory 35 years ago. And he's doing the media rounds before the game. And on Friday, he sat down with Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee is in town with College Game Day. He always does his show from the site of College Game Day on Friday. And so Lou Holtz sits down and does Pat McAfee. And as you can imagine, it's a pro-Notre Dame crowd. They're on Notre Dame's campus. The legendary Notre Dame head coach is there. So you can imagine there's a lot of Notre Dame fans behind him. And not surprisingly, Pat McAfee, like he should, asked Lou Holtz what he expected from this game. Well, here is what Lou Holtz had to say about Ryan Day, Ohio State, and Saturday's game. Starts out instantly enough. Who does Lou Holtz, remember, the former Notre Dame head coach, think is going to win? He says, Notre Dame is a better football team than Ohio State. And let me tell you why. We have the best offensive line in the country. Sam Hartman won't even get his jersey dirty all year. He has time to throw the football. We have great running backs. This team is averaging about 10 yards per carry. We have great receivers. So offensively, we're set. Defensively, our defensive line's better. Then he continued... And this is where it gets interesting. He said, you look at Coach Day. 
And I coached at Ohio State under Woody Hayes. We won the national championship when I was there. I'm proud of that. However, he has lost to Alabama, lost to Georgia, Clemson, Michigan twice. And everybody that beats him does so because they are more physical than Ohio State. And I think Notre Dame will take the same approach. So I had not heard that. I'm sure most of you had not heard that. Now, Pat McAfee's great at what he does, huge audience, but I'm guessing most of you had not heard that. Well, the one person who did hear that was Ryan Day, because after the game, in an interview with NBC, he is asked about his thoughts on the victory. He starts talking about we're tough, we're this, we're that. And then he gets to this. This is an exact quote. Wish we had the video. We will someday get the technology to be able to just play you the audio. But here is what Ryan Day had to say. I'd like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. What he said about our team, I cannot believe. This is a tough team right here. We're proud to be from Ohio. It's always been Ohio against the world, and it'll continue to be Ohio against the world. But I'll tell you what, I love those kids. We've got a tough team. So how about Ryan Day coming back at Lou Holtz? And I'll be honest, when I heard this, first of all, I heard it live. It was unbelievable. And I really had three thoughts on this audio, okay? The first one was, first, I just thought it was objectively hysterical. I was like, Where did Lou Holtz come from? Like, how did Lou Holtz get involved? And then I'll be honest, I did love Ryan Day fighting for his team. Ohio State against everybody. Ohio State versus the world. Ohio versus the world. Whatever, you get the point. But then the third thing happened. As I really thought about it, I'm doing my Fox Sports radio show, and it really struck me. I said, Ryan Day's talking about Lou Holtz calling his team soft. And I'll be blunt. I kind of feel like This actually makes Ryan Day look soft, and let me explain. And before I do, I know we're going to have Ohio State fans jump in, and and, and I am maybe like the one neutral person on Ryan Day. I'm not going to go minute by minute, game by game over his whole resume. But I think I understand both sides of the Ryan Day resume. If you want to say he's 49-6, and um, has won three Big Ten championships, has made three college football playoffs, I think that is a very salient argument that he is a darn good football coach. What I think a lot of other people would say, and I think I skew more towards this side, is a couple things. One, he did indisputably inherit the best situation maybe in college football history. Ryan Day takes over for Urban Meyer, infrastructure set, the staff stays the same, and he has it pretty good. He has, as Lou Holtz said, the program I think has regressed a little bit. Okay, That's, that's maybe my opinion, but they are 49-6. and six. But at the same time, as I say all the time, Ohio State's job and the the job of the Ohio State coach is not to beat Indiana or Rutgers or Purdue or Illinois or even Iowa. It is to beat Michigan. It is to go to the college football playoff. It is to win national championships, win Big Ten championships along the way. So those are the three things. Beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, win a national championship. And everybody knows you're not going to do it every year. But. They have not beaten Michigan since 2019. Now, admittedly, they did not play a game in 2020 because of COVID, but they're on an 0 for 2 win losing streak to Michigan. They have not won the Big Ten the last two years, and they obviously have not made the playoff, or they have not won a national championship under Ryan Day. Now, to Ryan Day's credit, they've been competitive. They've had some tough losses. Georgia last year, Clemson in 2019. But at the same time, I don't think what Lou Holtz said was unfair. I do think they've been a little bit soft in big games. And I do think that him specifically calling out Lou Holtz makes him look soft. 
And why is that? Because I think some people would sit there and say, well, Torres, he's just defending his players. Okay, I get defending your players. And I get a coach standing up for his team. I get why Deion Sanders was mad at Jay Norvell last week. No problem with that. Understood where Deion Sanders was coming from. I understand where Dan Lanning was coming from. And we'll talk about it later in the show, trying to protect his team and his players. What Dan Lanning was really saying, spoiler alert for later, is like, I get that Colorado's got a top 20 team and we're really excited to play them, but we got good players. We're really good too. We got ourselves a Heisman caliber quarterback. Why don't you stop asking about the other team and start asking about us? So I don't have no problem with what Dan Lanning did. I have no problem with what Deion Sanders did. I had no problem with Deion Sanders calling out uh, reporters for having receipts. But at the same time, think about who Ryan Day called out on Saturday. He called out an 86-year-old, not his contemporary, not a guy he's coaching against, not a guy who called him out in a public press conference, called out an 86-year-old former Notre Dame head coach who was in front of a pro-Notre Dame crowd trying to rally them before a big game. Lou Holtz is essentially a Notre Dame cheerleader at this point in his career. He's essentially the mascot. He is on campus to get people fired up, excited about this game. What did you think he was going to say? Uh, we're probably going to lose because of they have better play. Like, no, he's Lou Holtz. He's the Notre Dame last national championship winning coach. Of course, he's going to have Notre Dame's back. Of course, he's going to get people fired up. By the way, Ryan Day, a couple other things. Don't give me this whole, I'm so offended for my players. I was thinking about this. I actually texted a coach this on Sunday morning. How many of his players do you even think know who Lou, Lou Holtz is? Remember, Lou Holtz hasn't been on TV since 2015, okay? That means his freshmen, that was eight years ago. His current freshmen were 10 years old. So I guarantee none of his players remember Lou Holtz as a coach. I barely do, and I'm in my 30s. But I don't even remember how many of them would know him from uh, uh, from TV. I don't even know how many of them would know him from TV. Excuse me. Like, I don't think that in the pantheon of disrespect, an 86-year-old who none of your players know, like, are that is going to fire up the locker room that much. By the way, one other thought I had about this. Ryan Day, you did coach kind of scared on Saturday night. Now, it was a great game. But let's not forget. The series before you had the game-winning drive, you had a fourth down opportunity, fourth and short. You could do the Woody Hayes, three yards in a cloud of dust. You could do the physical, we're going to prove how tough you are. You ran a, a jet sweep. It got stopped. Earlier in the game, you had a situation, fourth down, red zone, goal line, could punch the ball in one yard, three yards in a cloud of dust, as Woody Hayes would say. You threw, you threw a pass that was incomplete. So don't sell me on... You kind of coached a little scared. Your teams have not been great in big games. I didn't even get into all of it, but two losses to Michigan. I know the Georgia loss was tough, but they haven't been great in big games. And you coach kind of scared in this game. And so again, I have no problem with a coach protecting his players. But if it's a, a, a current player, if it's a current head coach, if it's a current assistant coach, if it's Dion versus Jay Norvell, if it's Dan Lanning versus Dion. I get it. I respect it. But Lou Holtz, give me a break. And you know what I think that that rant said to me? And by the way, I think I mentioned it, but he went back at Lou Holtz in the postgame press conference. You know what that rant said to me? I don't know if Ryan Day thinks his team is soft. I think he is a little bit soft. And I think he is the one feeling the pressure. I think he is the one 
that knew what was at stake if his team actually lost on Saturday. I think he's the one that maybe doesn't know the exact number of days since the last time Ohio State beat Michigan, but we're closing in. I'm probably close to a thousand at this point because it was 2019 the last time Ohio State beat Michigan. I think he's the one that knows what's at stake if Ohio State doesn't make the college football playoff, if they don't beat Michigan this year, if they don't win the Big Ten this year, because ultimately they've made all the changes, right? They've changed the defensive coordinator. They've changed the offensive line coach. They've gotten physical. They're older. They're experienced. They're veteran. They've used the transfer port. And so what that said to me, listen, it was entertaining as hell. I really liked it. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, why is Ryan Day letting an 86-year-old guy get in his head unless Ryan Day knows that there's some truth to what Lou Holtz said? Now, the good news is Ohio State, even though they were a little soft on third downs, I thought they were pretty physical in this game. And they got plenty more chances to prove. But like I said, in big games, two straight losses against Michigan. Penn State last year, you were trailing into going into the fourth quarter, and then Sean Clifford started coughing up the ball left and right. Um, Notre Dame last year, you went 21 to 10 against a four loss Notre Dame team. It's not as though Ryan day has dominated these games. And again, when you're the Ohio state coach, you're expected to win big every game, beat Michigan, win the big 10, go to the college football playoff. Nobody cares about what you do against Youngstown state. Nobody cares about what you do against Indiana. Nobody cares about what you do against Rutgers, Purdue, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin. They care about Michigan, big 10 championships, national championships. So Ryan day. I appreciate you protecting your guys, but you looked kind of soft going up against the 86-year-old on Saturday night. Really quickly, in terms of the game itself, you know, listen, I, 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 it's one, I don't think there's like an amazing take to have, right? Like, I think sometimes there's a big win, there's a big loss, and you want to react and you want to be over the top and you want to say everything there is to say. Like Alabama losing to Texas two weeks ago. I think the, the take was Texas has arrived. The take is Alabama has real problems. I don't think there was an amazing take to come out of this game because I saw two really good teams that are equipped to play with pretty much anybody in college football in this specific year. And I see two teams that could win every game left on their schedule. From the Ohio State perspective, I know we just talked about Ohio State being soft, not being soft, but I said this a week ago. You can go back and listen to the tape. I do believe that while Ryan Day, I thought, coached a little soft, I don't think this team is soft. I think this is the most complete team he has had since his first season as Ohio State head coach. Said it after the Western Kentucky game. People say, oh, it's only Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky had the number two pass offense in all of college football last year. Last week, Ryan Day's defense shut them down. Saturday, Ryan Ryan Day's defense did a really pretty good job on Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman finished with, I think, was what, 145 yards passing. I mean, it was by far his worst performance of the season. That's no knock on him. They're just a really good defense. 175 yards passing, I should say. The run game for Ohio State, I thought, was really good. Travion Henderson, I said it last week. He looks like the guy from two years ago that was the guy that broke all of Maurice Claret's freshman rushing records. He's really good. And then I thought the wide receiver group looked great. You know it's a great day. When you win a big game and Marvin Harrison isn't even the star, Mecca Buka led the team in catches seven with 96 yards of total receiving. So from the Ohio state perspective, I was impressed. I really was. And I do give credit to the, the quarterback, Kyle McCord fourth career start, really the second since he's been named the full-time starter. And I thought he was pretty poised. 
I don't think he's got the physical gifts of Justin Fields. I don't think he's got the physical gifts of the late Dwayne Haskins. I don't think he has the physical gifts of CJ Stroud. But in the moment, this guy made plays. Finished the game 21 of 37, 240 yards passing. Thought he played well, thought the defense played well. And I think the big takeaway from Ohio State, this just might be a little bit of a different Ohio State team, okay? This just might be a team that isn't all about, you know, uh, throwing the ball all over the field. This might be a more balanced team. But in this year in college football, that might be a good thing. Because at some point, you're going to go up against a Caleb Williams, a Sam Hartman, a Quinn Ewers, ironically enough. And you got to be able to play all facets of the game. I think Ohio State does that. From the Notre Dame perspective, I'll be blunt. Um, I just feel bad, right? Like Notre Dame, for all these years, when they've gotten on the biggest stages against the best teams, they've struggled. Alabama in the playoff, Clemson in the playoff, Alabama in the national championship game a few years ago, uh, Clemson in the regular season. Only big win they had against Clemson was uh, when Trevor Lawrence was out with COVID three or four years ago. I think I shared the stat. It was via Joel Klatt. I think it's four and 19 in the last 30 years in top 10 matchups. That's insane. But this was there for the winning. And I think they thought they were going to win. And you could tell by the response of the players when the game went final. So I feel bad for Notre Dame. I think the saving grace is you look at that schedule. There's no game they can't win. Now they have a tough one, actually, of all places next week at Duke. College game day is going to be at Duke for that game. Duke, unfortunately, took care of the UConn Huskies on Saturday, a lot to a little. But once you get past Duke, you have Louisville the following week. So that is actually a pretty tough stretch. Then USC, then a bye. I'm not going to lie, that's a little tougher than I thought it was because Louisville's playing really good football right now. Duke is ranked. Then you have USC. Then you get a bye, you get Clemson. And then you should win your final two. But from the Notre Dame perspective, everything is still in front of you. I think if you lose to Ohio State on the final play and you take care of everybody else, I think you'll be fine. But that is a tough, tough, tough three-game stretch heading into the bye with at Duke, at Louisville, and USC. Finally, I think my only other real takeaway on this game, I I was never a guy that felt like we had to go to a 12-team playoff. I always feel like most years we struggle to get four teams that are really national championship caliber. But I do believe as the transfer portal has kind of changed things, as teams aren't as deep as they've been, I do kind of get the sense that it's probably not the worst thing we're going to a 12-team college football playoff, and I wish this was the year because I don't think there's much of a gap between 1 and 12. I don't think there's much of a gap between 1 and 6, between 3 and 12. And so it would be cool to have the 12-team playoff this year where this one loss might not impact all that much. Now, again, if both these teams went out, if Ohio State wins out, they're going to be not only in the playoff, they'll be the number one overall seed because they would have wins against Penn State at Michigan at that point, plus Notre Dame at Notre Dame. But even for Notre Dame, they can win out and probably make the playoff. But you look at this year, I think there's three or four really good teams in the Pac-12. I think there's not much separation between one through three, one through four in the SEC. I think the Big 12, Texas looks looks the part. Um, Notre Dame looks the part as an independent. You go on and on down the list, the ACC has a couple of really good teams as well. So that's my only other real takeaway. I do wish this was a year where we had the 12-team college football playoff. We don't. Uh, But what a thriller at Notre Dame. And oh, by the way, what a night for Ryan Day going after Lou Holtz. I just want to do take a quick break, come back. And when we come back, we do. We are going to switch gears to Colorado. Colorado loses. What does it mean? Plus, in the theme of the weekend, Dan Lanning, very interesting comments about Coach Prime, Colorado, all that. 
Quick break. Be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, listen, bluntly, I think we could start in a lot of different places. We could obviously start with the top 10 matchup, Notre Dame against Ohio State. But instead, I want to start with the game that I know had all of America's attention on Saturday afternoon as the Oregon Ducks hosted the Colorado Buffaloes in a top 20 matchup of undefeated teams. And why this game, I feel like, is the biggest story coming out of the weekend, it really goes back to Thursday's preview show and everything we talked about on Thursday. I said, regardless of the outcome, um, one of two, th- the, the, the takes were going to be flowing regardless of outcome, okay? If Oregon won, and Oregon won in the manner in which everybody expected them to, which obviously they were a 21-point uh, favorite in Vegas, then you know what the conversation is going to be. Colorado's overrated. You guys in the media hyped them up too much, on and on and on. And of course, if Colorado won, then all the hype, all the excitement would go into even further overdrive, if that's even possible, going into next week's game against Caleb Williams in USC. Well, by now, if you're listening to this, you know the result, and it was very much the former, not the latter, as Oregon at home, at Outson Stadium, absolutely obliterates Colorado final score 42-6 to with that six points for Colorado coming late in the game when it was long over. And listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat it because I know Coach Prime is not sugarcoating it in his locker room with his team. Oregon was the better team in every single way that you could be on Saturday. Oregon finished with 522 yards of total offense, Colorado 199 yards. Um, The score, by the way, you know, Oregon jumped out to like a 13-0 lead before you could even blink. Uh, Colorado gets a, a half a second of momentum Then Dan Lanning calls for the fake punt inside his own 20. Oregon converts it, and basically from there, the game was over. It was 35-0 at halftime. Oregon had more points than Colorado had total yards at the half. Oregon had more touchdowns than Colorado had first downs in the first half. And from there, it never really got better. Again, Oregon winning 42-6. The bottom line, though, to me is, listen, I you know, everybody wants to have these like big, bold, unbelievable takes. This ultimately isn't that surprising to me for all of the same reasons that I said on Thursday's preview show. Now, look, I didn't pick this game. I I said, I think Oregon wins. I'm not going to bet it. I don't have a strong opinion because I think Colorado can maybe score enough points to keep it respectable. But at the end of the day, this goes back to what we have talked about on this show for a few weeks. What Coach Prime has done to get Colorado to 3-0 and is absolutely incredible because outside the quarterback position, and there are other star players like Travis Hunter, but for the most part, this has not been a great team, and they have been propped up by incredible quarterback play from Shador Sanders. Listen, coming into this game for Colorado, these stats are mind-boggling, and I want to make sure that I get them right. Coming into this game, so before Saturday, 
This was this was just TCU, just Nebraska, just uh, Colorado State. No Oregon, no USC, none of the tough teams they're going to play going forward. Just coming into this game, Colorado ranked. Are you ready for this? Colorado ranked 120. Remember, there are 133 FBS teams. They ranked 125th in total defense. In other words, there was only eight teams through three games that were worse than them. They ranked 129th in rushing. 129th out of 133 teams. And this is the stat that I think is most important. 130th out of 133 teams in sacks allowed. And so just listen to those stats again. 125th in total defense, 129th in rushing, 130th in sacks allowed. It means the defense hasn't been very good. It means the run game hasn't been very good. It means the the the, the run blocking has not been good. It means the pass blocking has not been good. And as I keep saying, Shador Sanders because he is special, because he is a first-round talent, because he's maybe even a potential top-10 talent, is the reason that Colorado is 3-0. By the way, it's worth noting, if Jay Norvell goes for it on fourth down last week instead of chickening out and punting, maybe Colorado State wins that game. Instead, Shador Sanders gets the ball, drives at 98 yards. By the way, two weeks ago against Nebraska, if Jeff Sims doesn't stop fumbling the ball, that was a competitive game until Nebraska could not get out of their own way. So this isn't a knock on Colorado. This is a reality check for them. And it speaks to something that I've said. I think the fact, listen, everybody wants to criticize Coach Prime. I have no problem with him because I think he's done a good job coaching. Now, there's a lot of noise outside of the program. Jay Norvell saying stuff. uh, Dan Lanning's locker room comments, which we'll get to at some point here in the future. But inside that, Coach Prime isn't the one talking smack. People are coming at him. And I think he's done a pretty good job to get this team to 3-0, and to get this team to three wins before Saturday. I think they largely overachieved. Remember, this was a team that had a three-and-a-half over-under win total coming into the year. They were 3-0 and coming into Saturday. They're going to get to four wins probably next week's going to be tough. Then they play Arizona State and Stanford, the two worst teams in the Pac-12. I think they're going to be 5-2 and coming out of that stretch. And at that point, if they are, they will have greatly exceeded expectations. And it speaks to what I've said. I think Coach Prime has done a good job with this team. I think he's done a good job with this program. 75 plus new players, a million guys from a million different places to get them to three and oh is a great start to a season where most people had no expectations for them. To me, I, 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 I I don't like this is part of why I've never understood the angst about him and the frustration about him is because when I look at this thing, I think he's overachieved. And I think at the end of the day, all of the realistic goals for this team are still on track. Get to six wins, get to a bowl game, um, you know, get those extra practices and then go crush it in recruiting, which I expect Coach Prime and his staff to do in the high school ranks and the portal. And so I don't see this as a negative. Everyone wants to, well, this proves this and this proves that. This proves that Colorado probably wasn't a very good team coming into this weekend, and Shador Sanders is special, and this is a team with a lot of room to grow. And so when I look at this game, I don't see it as a negative, right? Because at the end of the day, the goal was never a national championship. The goal was never going 12-0. and I mean, that can be the goal. I don't think it was realistic even for the people inside that building. And so for me, there are positives that come out of Saturday. One, I think Coach Prime in that building gets to recalibrate things with that group. Because again, if you listen to him throughout the week, 
he said a lot of stuff that made me realize that even he knows his team isn't as good as the hype. He kept saying all week, we haven't played a full game offense, defense, special teams. He kept saying, if you watch those, those videos that are done by his son, Deion Sanders Jr., he kept saying, you guys are buying your own hype. You guys need to start holding yourselves accountable. I'm telling you, you're not good enough. So one, I think the positive is you get to recalibrate. Colorado was never competing for a college football playoff spot. Recalibrate, get better, and learn from this so this never happens again. By the way, all great teams, all great programs go through this. I'm not comparing Colorado to the greatest dynasty we've maybe ever seen in college football. But remember, in year one, Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe. Remember, in year one, uh, you know, Kirby Smart went seven and five and lost to Vanderbilt. I think he went eight and five with a bowl game. But these things take time. These things are a process. This thing is ahead of schedule. And I think the second positive, and there are positives. The second positive is if Coach Prime uses this right, and I know he will, they they should crush in recruiting. Because the biggest takeaway that I had from this game, Colorado is elite at quarterback, and they're really good at the skill positions. And I know there's no Travis Hunter. I know you can't gauge, but they're not winning this game even if Travis Hunter is on the field. But you know what that message, you know what a, what, what, what what coaches will do with what happened on Saturday? They're going to take that into recruiting. I have no doubt that Coach Prime and his staff on the plane, on the bus ride back to the airport, on the airport, they're going to be texting recruits, every five-star defensive lineman, every five-star linebacker, every five-star offensive lineman, and say, did you see that? We need your help. Come here. You can go to Georgia and be a backup for two years. Or you can come here and be a difference maker day one. You can go to Alabama for two years or be a difference maker here day one. That was already the message they were giving to recruits. Remember, Jordan Seaton, some believe he's one of the best, not not one of, some believe he's the best offensive lineman in high school football right now. He visited last week for that Colorado State game. That was the message from Coach Prime when Jordan Seaton did interviews after the trip. He said there's starting time for to be had next year. And so go out, go hit the portal hard, go hit the high school ranks, because there is going to be plenty of playing time to be had for Colorado players going forward, because they don't have power five difference makers on the defensive front, on the offensive line, for sure. That's the facts. That's always been the facts. Again, the numbers speak for themselves. Shador has been amazing. The wide receivers have been amazing. Travis Hunter, when he's not getting cheap shotted, was amazing and is amazing. But go back and look at those stats that I told you. Go back and look at what I said a minute ago. Came into this weekend 125th in total defense, 129th in rushing offense, 130th in sacks allowed. And so it's going to take time. This isn't built overnight, but in the portal era and with Coach Prime as your head coach, take advantage of this. Take advantage of it in recruiting. Go to kids' homes. Sell that you don't need to go to Georgia or Alabama to be a backup. Come here, come with us. We're, we coming. That's what Colorado is going to do. And again, I think there are positives to be taken if you're a Colorado fan. All right, let's switch gears to the Oregon perspective. And listen, let me let me say this: from the football perspective, I, I don't know really what there is to add that I didn't just say a moment ago. Oregon wins forty-two to six. They're up thirty-five nothing at the half. Um, and whatever, we know the stats, right? Of 500 yards of total offense at halftime, they had more touchdowns five than Colorado had first downs four. It was a butt kicking. Coach Prime said it himself. And I don't really know what 
else there is to say. This is what Oregon is supposed to look like. We just talked about the Colorado perspective. Well, Oregon is a program with multiple top 10 recruiting classes on their roster right now. They have been able to use the transfer portal, not out of necessity to flip a roster like Colorado, but to kind of plug holes and add guys that are difference makers, whether it's Bo Nix, the, the wide receiver, Trayshawn Holden, the wide receiver, or the cornerback, Kyrie Jackson, both from Alabama. That's what a top five, top 10 national championship caliber team looks like. And Oregon, to its credit, took care of business on Saturday. What I did find interesting, though, and what I do want to talk about, it was certainly a very busy weekend for coaches saying stuff that went viral, right? So we just talked about Ryan Day in the first segment, the stuff that he said, call it out, Lou Holtz, old Uncle Lou, calling out Lou Holtz, okay? So, but Dan Lanning himself made some very interesting comments that certainly went viral in his pregame speech and at halftime. And I want to get to the quotes in a minute. But what I find very interesting, the quotes have created a lot of conversation. The quotes have been very interesting. But I don't think Dan Lanning said the stuff that he said for the reasons that most people seem to think. Let's get into what he said. First of all, during the game, a pregame locker room speech was was shared via uh, ESPN and ABC. That the, Obviously, ABC was the one who broadcast the game. And Dan Lanning had some very choice words for Colorado and what things have done, what they have done so far. Here is what he said. And again, at some point, we'll get the audio stuff just spliced in. It'll be much easier. But he said, the Cinderella story is over, man. They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a difference, right? There's a difference, right? This game ain't going to get played in Hollywood. It's going to get played on grass. Then at halftime, in an interview with whoever the sideline reporter was, I can't remember off the top of my head, he was asked about being up 35 to nothing. He said, we're not done. We're not satisfied. I hope that everybody that's been watching every week is still watching. So Dan Lanning coming in hot, baby. Dan Lanning coming in hot. And, and, and first of all, let me say this. Pre-game locker room speech, I have no problem with it. That's coaching talk. That's trying to get your guys fired up, whatever. No problem with it. Don't care, whatever. But I think to me, there are two very specific things and specific reasons that Dan Lanning said what he said in that locker room speech, said what he said at halftime. One, you might think. One, I bet you probably haven't given too much thought to. Why I think Dan Lanning was so fired up. I think there are two reasons. One, the first one is pretty much exactly what you think. I wouldn't say that Dan Lanning was jealous of the coverage of Oregon and Colorado this week, but I do think it's fair for him to have been a little bit frustrated. Because it's interesting, right? You know, I watch all this stuff, and and, and I saw an interview with Marcus Freeman on campus uh, prior to the Ohio State game on Friday. And it was 15, 20 minutes, and it was, tell us about Sam Hartman, tell us about your team, what do you think about Ohio State, you're an Ohio State alum, whatever. That isn't really what Dan Lanning had to deal with in the lead-up to the Colorado game. In the lead-up to the Colorado game, it felt like the media was going out of their way to get Dan Lanning to say something scandalous to then bring back to Coach Prime to make a to make and create a headline. You can agree, you can disagree, you could say it's fair, you could say it's not fair. But that was my perception from a distance. First off, people kept showing this video of Dan Lanning talking about Colorado in the summertime. And essentially what Dan Lanning said, it was right after Colorado had left the Big 12 or left the Pac-12 for the Big 12. And Dan Lanning was asked about it, and he basically said, 
I don't really remember Colorado doing very much in this league. And so at the beginning of the week, everybody tried to make that into a thing. Well, one, Dan Lanning never said Deion Sanders. Dan Lanning never said the name Coach Prime. Dan Lanning never said anything about any current Colorado coach or player. What he said was factually correct. He said they're leaving this league, and they haven't really done that much. And beyond that, the context that nobody wanted to add because it wasn't salacious, it wasn't scandalous, it wasn't interesting, was the fact that Dan Lanning said that at a time when Colorado was the only school that had left the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 was trying to hold itself together before Oregon and Washington left for the Big Ten, before Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah left for the Big 12, before, oh, by the way, Stanford and Cal left for the ACC. That was a moment in time where Dan Lanning was trying to protect his program, his players, and the Pac-12, and I have absolutely nothing wrong with it. And then, like I said, once everybody kind of realized that that wasn't a thing, and, and I don't even think Coach Prime was bothered by it, Then it tried to turn into something else where it was like, let's catch Dan Lanning saying something controversial so we can create a headline. You can go on social media on Twitter. I saw this video. Dan Lanning did a uh, SportsCenter interview on, I believe it was Friday night before the game. And the first three or four questions were all about either something that he said or directly about Deion Sanders. Nothing about Colorado, nothing about the opponent, nothing about their 3-0 start, nothing about how impressed you are, nothing about Shador Sanders as a Heisman Trophy candidate. It was all about, can we catch Dan Lanning saying something? And so I have no problem with him being frustrated. I have no problem with him sitting there saying, wait a second now, we have a pretty good football team too. We have a top 10 team too. We have a Heisman Trophy candidate too. And if you want to talk about their team, that's fine, but don't try to get me to say something about the coach. So that's one. But two, you know the real reason that I think Dan Lanning was really acting the way he was? Listen again to the quote that he said at halftime. We're not done yet. We're not satisfied. I hope everybody that's been watching every week is still watching. And then think about his actions during the game. When he went for, he faked a punt inside his own 20. Went for it on fourth down when they were up whatever it was, I think 42 to nothing. You know what that was to me? That was trying to send a message not to the current Colorado Buffaloes, not to the current Oregon Ducks. It was trying to send a message to every recruit that would ever consider either one of those schools. And let me explain, okay? Dan Lanning, first of all, comes from the Kirby Smart Nick Saban coaching tree. What that means is it's all about recruiting all the time, 365 days a year. You eat, sleep, breathe recruiting. You're on the phone. You're texting. It's this class. It's the next class. It's the transfer portal. It's messaging to recruiting. And I think what Dan Lanning also knows is he knows that Coach Prime isn't going anywhere. And and I've said this, and I believe. I believe Coach Prime is not only staying in college football. I believe he's not going to the NFL, and I think he's staying at Colorado. And I think Dan Lanning knows I got a new big dog on my recruiting block here on the West Coast. And I think what Dan Lanning realizes is Coach Prime is going to be a thorn in my side in recruiting from now until he decides to leave college football. And we're going to be going after a lot of the same players. Think about already the impact that Coach Prime has had in recruiting in three weeks as a college football head coach leading up to Saturday. As we've discussed previously, we know about Travis Hunter, right? We know about Cormani McLean in last year's class. But even just since Colorado beat TCU, this is what we learned. The number one quarterback in the class of 2025, Bryce Underwood, took a visit to Colorado. 
the number two wide receiver in America in the senior class, Ryan Wingo, is going to Colorado this coming weekend for the USC game. The number three wide receiver in America, Cam Coleman, committed to Texas A&M, saw that he wants to take a visit there. Uh, Jordan Seaton, one of the top offensive linemen, has already taken a visit to Colorado. And what was the other kid's name? Beeman, Jeremiah Beeman, I believe his name was, committed to Alabama, four-star recruit, difference maker on the defensive line. He, too, has taken a visit to Colorado. And so I bring it up. I think it's very clear from what I saw that Dan Lanning realizes this guy is going to be a problem and I need to get the messaging out. I need to get the messaging out that you guys, you know, that, 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 that listen, that we are ourselves a good football team, a power and a force to be reckoned with. And when I look at what Dan Lanning said and what he did and his actions, I think at a certain point, it stopped becoming about motivating his team on the field. I had my buddy Chris Perfett from, from Fox Sports Radio tweet at me. Oh, he's just trying to rally up the troops. No, going forward up 42 to nothing is not trying to rally the troops. Uh, saying, I hope everybody that's been watching every week is still watching when you're up 35 nothing is not trying to rally the troops. It's trying to rally the next group of troops. It's trying to rally the kids that are sophomores and juniors in high school and say, you know what? I know you're impressed by this coach prime. I am too. I like the guy. I think he's a good football coach. But when I come into your locker room, when I come into your uh, high school, when I come in to sit with your parents, just remember, he has the flash and he has the excitement and he has the cameras and he has the, the social media clout, but I got that dominant win over him. Now, I know what a lot of you would say. It seems a little ironic. The, the Oregon coach with their million uniform combinations talking about Hollywood and this and that, but I'm just telling you, this is how these coaches think. You can like it. You cannot like it. You can agree. You can disagree. I'm just here to tell you that is how these coaches think. And I very, very, very much believe that that was what Saturday was about. I think the pregame stuff was hyping up his team. But I think once you get to halftime, you're still talking. Once you get into the second half, you're going for it on fourth down. That to me is all about recruiting. It's all about telling kids, hey, you can go there. But we played those guys and we kicked their butts on the field. I just want to do take a quick break. Come back. We'll react to the rest of the weekend in college football. Clemson. I still don't know what happened with Clemson. We'll talk about them. We'll talk about the Bama quarterback situation. We'll talk about Washington. We'll talk about uh, maybe the Washington State coach going off. We had a lot of coaches go off this week. Quick break. Be right back. A lot more to discuss. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. I do want to wrap couple things here. So do something a little bit different. Going to start. There are two other big college football storylines I want to get to. Clemson and Florida State, Alabama, Ole Miss. And we might hit on a little A&M, Auburn, a little uh, LSU, Arkansas, whatever. But but those are the two big topics I want to get to. And then I want to get to two NFL topics. It's not often we talk NFL during this time of year. There's so much college football to discuss. But there were two very interesting topics that I need to discuss Promise we won't go too deep. There will be no bad blood between us when I'm done talking the NFL. If you know what I mean, I think you probably know bad puns aside where I'm going with what we'll talk about to wrap the show. But let's start with college football. And the one thing I'll say is this is one one reason I think we love football so much. We as a society, why I am so blessed to get to do what I do. It's because I think it's the sport. It, it's every weekend NFL college, whatever you play one time a week. 
and you spend all week building up in your head what you think the narratives are going to be and what you think the results are going to produce. And so you look at Florida State Clemson, right? And I think we all thought the narrative was pretty straightforward. If Clemson loses this game, it is an entire indictment on Dabo Sweeney, Clemson, and essentially how Dabo Sweeney has elected to do things. We've talked about it a million times. Doesn't love the portal. Doesn't love NIL. Florida State has fully embraced the portal. And this felt like the game. If Clemson loses this one, oh my goodness, it's going to be an indictment on Dabo. He's going to have to change everything. Well, it was actually the exact opposite. Clemson was the better team. Clemson was in complete control. Clemson probably shouldn't win the, should have won the game. And then all of a sudden, boom, game over Florida State wins. Everybody's rushing the field. I can't ever remember a game quite like it where Clemson felt like they were in control for, I'm not kidding, 98% of the game. Felt like they were in complete control. They outgained Florida State by over 100 yards. As I said, I thought they were the better team. And Florida State ends up surviving. Credit to the Knowles, but the story here is obviously Clemson. In terms of the game, listen, like I said, I think the narrative coming in was Clemson, are they going to have enough dudes? They don't use the portal. Clemson, they didn't lose this game because of talent. They lost a, a, a few really sort of unfortunate breaks, to be honest. One, uh, the first reason they lost, brutal play goes against them end of the third quarter. There's obviously a missed assignment. Quarterback Cade Klubnik gets crushed in the pocket. He fumbles it, returned by Caden Deloach for 56 yards for a touchdown. Clemson at that point was up 24 to 17. Clemson, as I said, was in control. Clemson was driving with the ball, and it felt like they punched this one in. They go up 31-17 going into the fourth. They're not losing this game. Like they're, they're just not losing. Florida State doesn't look as good as they did against LSU. It's not the same team. Maybe Jordan Travis is beat up, whatever. Unfortunately for Clemson, fumble recovery, return for a touchdown. It's 24-24, and actually, they didn't score the rest of the game. So that was play number one. Play number two. You got to feel bad for this kicker, okay? And so for people who did not watch the game, there was kind of a wild story with this backup kicker for Clemson. So Clemson has had all sorts of kicking problems over the last couple weeks. And so Dabo, over the course of the last couple days, was kind of trying to look for some answers in terms of how do we get this thing fixed? And so it was interesting because his sons, who are part of the team, they kind of said to him, they said, Dad, remember last year's backup, Jonathan Wheats? Um, he's still enrolled in school as a graduate and he has eligibility left. And it's a very unique story. This kid was the backup for four years, never really got a shot. Clemson recruited an elite kicker. And, and, and basically this kid said, I'm not coming back for another year to sit on the bench and not contribute. So he's in Charleston, which is four hours from Clemson taking grad classes. He's already accepted a job for postgraduate in the winter. And Dabble calls him and says, we need you. Okay. So the kid comes to campus, wins the starting job, kicks a 30-something yard field goal in the first quarter, and you feel like this thing might end up being a Hollywood ending. He has a chance late in the fourth quarter, about five minutes left, to kick what would have been the go-ahead field goal, and unfortunately, he ends up missing it. Sean McDonough actually had a pretty funny line about this. He said, uh, it, it should have been a Hollywood ending. Unfortunately, the Hollywood writers are on strike, so, so Sean McDonough got the last laugh on that one. And then really the reason that they lost, I thought it was just piss poor play calling and execution in overtime. Okay. So they don't get the field goal. They end up going to overtime. Florida state scores in overtime. Clemson gets the ball back. Okay. Clemson is driving. They have a third and one. And apparently they called an RPO. 
they call an RPO for the kid, uh, for, for Kate club, their quarterback. Um, and he decides he's going to throw it. And it's like, it's third and one. He's trying to make a play. They end up missing it. Then of course, the next play, they have to go for it on fourth down. They're down by seven. Don't convert it game over. And so you look at this game. I'll be honest. I feel bad for Clemson. I know people don't like Dabo and they don't this and they don't that. They were the better team. And so now they're just so fascinating because I don't know where their season goes. Remember, they don't just have two losses before the end of September. They have two losses in ACC play. So depending on how everything else goes, they could win out and still not qualify for the ACC championship game. Now, if you're looking for a glasses half full, if you're looking for a positive, quarterback Kate Klubnik did look much better. The offense was much crisper. And you look at the schedule and there's no game that they can't win. Now, the ACC, in my opinion, is much better. It's going to be much tougher, um, and there are going to be wins to be had. You look at the schedule, they do still have to play at Miami later in the year. They actually have to go to Syracuse this weekend. That's always been a tough place for them, but they play at Miami, at NC State, another place that's been tough for them. They lost the last time they played there. Notre Dame at home, North Carolina at home, at South Carolina. And so you look at that schedule. That is a brutal schedule, but they can win every one of those games. Win those games, you're going to go back to the ACC championship game. You're probably going to play Florida State, and you're going to have a chance to beat them and win an ACC title. I just think the question is, can you stay focused? Can you get through all those tough games? Because Florida State, on the other hand, their toughest part of their schedule is behind them. I remember saying in the in the summer, I was like, if they can go one and one with LSU and at Clemson, they're going to be in great shape to make the college football playoff because you look at the rest of their schedule. Now, Duke is better than expected. Duke is ranked but they get Duke at home. They get Miami at home. They have no, no North Carolina. They have no Louisville. Who's all of a sudden playing very well under Jeff Brom. And so they're going to have a, they have a, going to have a situation where they are probably going to win out. If I had to guess right now, I would guess Florida state ends up 12 and zero and in the ACC championship game, playing for an ACC title. Uh, by the way, it is worth noting Florida state actually has a buy this week, probably very much needed. I don't think Jordan Travis looked very good. But the story here is Clemson. I feel bad. The situation was there. They're not as bad as we thought. Um, You can't blame the transfer portal. You can't blame talent. It came down to execution late on special teams. Late in the fourth quarter, they did have a chance to go for it, kick a field goal to end regulation. I don't know about kick a field goal, but they had a chance to make one final play before regulation. They took a knee, went to overtime. And then in overtime, whether it was the play calling, whether it was Cade Klubnik, to Dabo's credit, he took credit for what went wrong but just a bad, bad, bad deal all around for Clemson. Let's keep it going. Uh, I want to talk about the other big game, top 25 matchup in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The Alabama Crimson Tide beat Ole Miss 24 to 10. And listen, you know that I hate to say that I told you so, but basically every single thing that I said all week about Alabama came true on Saturday. And if you go back to last week, we all remember the narratives, right? So, Jalen Milrow gets benched before the last game. Then uh, Tyler Buckner is named the starter. Then Tyler Buckner gets benched. But rather than going back to Jalen Milrow, they instead go to Ty Simpson. Then on Monday, Nick Saban says, you know what? Jalen Milrow is our guy. And so after that, you heard all sorts of rumors and innuendo. Was Jalen Milrow suspended? Was there a locker room revolt in Tuscaloosa? And what did I tell you? I said, no. I said, Nick Saban saw enough from Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson to know that they're probably not the guy with this specific offensive line. I said all week, Alabama and Nick Saban knows there's four things about this team 
that are true. His offensive line cannot pass protect, okay? So if you don't have a mobile quarterback, it does you no good. Jalen Milrow's legs can pick up first downs. The defense is elite, and the new clock rules are going to play to your advantage. Nick Saban, better than anyone, has always taken advantage of new rules when they're put in. So what happened on Saturday? Well, Alabama beats uh, Ole Miss 24 to 10. By the way, I told you the under of 57 was the best bet of the week. It covers with ease, and Alabama won essentially in exactly the way that I told you. First of all, I want to give credit to this defense. The defense finishes, how about this? Ole Miss scores a touchdown on their first drive of the game. The first drive of the game. Remember, this was a top five scoring offense coming into the week. Alabama holds them to a field goal the rest of the game. I've been telling you for weeks, this defense is elite. Don't let a quarter against Texas fool you. Remember, they had the lead going into the fourth quarter against Texas. Defense is elite. Shut down Ole Miss. Jackson Dart looked like a mess. He kept getting hit so hard, his helmet kept popping off. Would have buckled up the chin strap if I was him, but that's neither here nor there. Two, from the Alabama perspective, I said Jalen Milrow is going to make plays with his feet. Well, he did. He was phenomenal. By the way, he actually played pretty well from the pocket as well. But most specifically, he had 16 carries. He did not rush for a lot, but it was clear. We're going to use his legs a lot. Finished 17 of 21 passing, 225 yards, deep touchdown pass to Jalen Hale. Did have a very bad interception. But the bottom line is this offense looked a little bit better. And then most importantly, what did I tell you about the clock rules? Well, look at the stats and time of possession from this game. Alabama had the ball 34 and a half minutes. Ole Miss just 25 and a half. And so I bring it up because, listen, This is who Alabama is going to be going forward. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is who it is. And you can say whatever you want about Nick Saban. One, I don't think he's going to retire. I think he he loves the grind and he loves putting the puzzle pieces together. And so when I look at this Alabama team, what I see is a coach that is trying to figure out the strengths and weaknesses of his team. I think he's figured them out and now he's got to find his way to grind out wins. The good news is for Alabama, you look at the rest of the SEC. There is nobody on this schedule that is unbeatable. This coming week, they go to Mississippi State. I told you Mississippi State's a mess. They get they lose at South Carolina. They're now 2-2, two and 0-2 two, oh and two in the SEC. From there, you got AM on the road. I think you can argue that might be your toughest game because that is going to be a really tough game. It'll probably be at night. AM always gets up to play Alabama. Could have beat them last year. Did beat them the year before. But then you get Arkansas at home. You get Tennessee at home. You get LSU at home than at Kentucky at Auburn to end the season. And so I haven't given up on Alabama. And I kept saying, everyone wanted to give up. The season's over. I said, why? Texas is out of conference for this year. Doesn't count towards the SEC standings. And the schedule you can get through. But you got to figure out the quarterback. Nobody in the SEC is elite. And most of the big games remain at home. So think about that. As I said, back-to-back road games at Mississippi State, at Texas A&M. Then three straight home games before at Kentucky, at Auburn to end the year. Think think Alabama is going to be okay, but this is exactly what I told you. And it's going to be fun to watch this team grow and develop throughout the year. They're not perfect, but I'm here to tell you, they're not as bad as a lot of people think either. Finally, a couple other news and notes from college football before we get to the NFL. One, AM did take care of Auburn. As I record, I don't think there's really an update on Connor Wegman, but credit to Max Johnson. He looked really good. And I give Texas A&M, man, credit. They played much better in the second half, took care of business. 
from the Auburn perspective. I tweeted it. I believe it. Auburn looks like a school that had a coaching staff under Brian Harson that stopped recruiting for two years. Not enough speed, not enough depth for sure. Peyton Thorne is not the answer quarterback. Do you go with Robbie Ashford? I don't know, but I think at Auburn, it's going to be a grind. I do think they will get to six wins, but I do not think it will be easy for them um, because the next two weeks on the schedule are brutal. They get Georgia at home this week at LSU next week. Ole Miss the following week. The good news is you do have Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, uh, Arkansas, New Mexico State to close the year. You already have three wins. Can you get to six in a bowl game and get all those extra practices? I think you probably can. Uh, LSU, Arkansas. Listen, I told you this one was going to be close. I told you not to give up on the Hogs. Unfortunately, Arkansas could not pull it out. I don't think LSU is elite. I do think they played a very bad Mississippi State team two weeks ago. From the Arkansas perspective, here's the bottom line. They have got to clean up penalties. 14 penalties against BYU, 11 penalties against LSU. You have half of that. You can easily win both of those games. You lose by seven to BYU. You lose by, what, three on the road at LSU. That was a game that was there for the taking. Arkansas, that was a game that you could have won. I'm not saying you should have. I don't want to discredit LSU. But that was a game that was there for the taking. You have to clean up penalties. Speaking of cleaning things up, USC. Defense is again a mess, okay? They played at Arizona State, and it looked just like last year. Arizona State, remember, got shut out by Fresno State two weeks ago. USC in this game gave up 350 yards of offense to a terrible Arizona State team, okay? And I bring it up, it looked like last year, Caleb Williams having to bail out this defense. Caleb Williams was incredible, 322 yards, three touchdowns. But this team cannot win the Pac-12, cannot go to the playoff if the defense does not get better. And I think it's just time to admit they're probably not good enough. They're going to win some games. They're going to beat some teams. But they're probably like a 9-3 and three team because the defense, I don't believe, is fundamentally better. Didn't believe they were better after they took care of an awful Nevada team, an awful Stanford team. Still believe it. By the way, USC is a 28-point favorite against Colorado this weekend. I like Colorado to cover that number because I think USC's defense is that bad. Finally, in the Pac-12, credit to Washington. Washington is such a juggernaut. I think you can legitimately make a case that Washington should be the number one team in the country. I'm not saying they, they, they're they not. I think you can make the argument 59-32 to 32 is the final score in that one. But here's the truth. I think it was 59 to 12 at some point, and they kind of stopped playing defense late. Washington takes care of business. And then last college football story. Shout out to my Cougs, the Washington Cougars, Washington State Cougars. Love me some Cougars. They beat Oregon State. They take care of business after the game. Find the clip or Washington State's coach goes after ESPN after Lee Corso. It was unbelievable. Two quick NFL stories before we get out of here. No, the show's going long. It's a Monday in the fall. Sorry, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, the first NFL story. Did you see the Miami Dolphins? Okay. Miami, how about this? Puts up 70 points. I got, Listen, why I'm telling you this. First of all, 70 points in an NFL game is unheard of. Okay. But why I want to talk about it is because this is fascinating to me. And I'll tell you why. And I talked about this on one of my Fox Sports radio shows. All offseason. We spend so much time talking about the Dolphins and what happens if Tua cannot stay healthy, okay? It's a sad conversation, but I think based on his history, it is a fair conversation. It sucks. You don't want to have the conversation. You're not rooting against Tua. 
but it was a conversation we had to have. He can't stay healthy. Why I bring it up? No one took the time to talk about what if Tua actually does stay healthy because this offense is unbelievable. 70 points, 23 of 26 for Tua, 309 yards, four touchdowns. I am so happy for this kid. Listen, I don't know if he's going to stay healthy. I don't know what the future holds for this team. But the Miami Dolphins right now are the best watch in the NFL. They have the best offense in the NFL. And the crazy part is on Sunday, Jalen Waddle didn't even play. I Listen, bluntly, I have no NFL team. I grew up in New England. Don't like the Patriots. Don't like the Giants. Definitely don't like the Jets. I'm not saying I'm rooting for Miami. I'm not saying I'm getting on the bandwagon. But they are so fun, so different, so unique. And I hope they keep this going. 70 points in an NFL game is unreal. But the story to me is Tua. I'm so happy to see him healthy. I'm so happy to see him having fun out there. I'm so happy to see him showing everyone what he's capable of. He is an unbelievable talent. He just can't stay healthy, and I am so happy for him. Dolphins, 70. Broncos, 20. By the way, shout out to Sean Payton. I get when you are used to being an NFL head coach and putting in 18-hour days, being away, is you don't know what to do with yourself. But everybody knew if he, st- if he stuck around one more year in media, he could have gotten probably the Los Angeles Chargers job or maybe another job where you get a chance to coach a Caleb Williams, a Drake May or whatever. Like, right. I mean, there could be a scenario where the Arizona Cardinals get the number one pick in the draft again. You fire your coach, you hire Sean Payton, you trade Kyler Murray, you draft Caleb Williams. So there was a lot of opportunity for Sean Payton. Instead, he rushes in to coach the Denver Broncos. And listen, I'm not a, a, a quarterback guru. Russell Wilson does not look good, though. Russell Wilson does not look good. I don't hate Russ as much as everybody, but 23 of 38 in this game, one touchdown, uh, one interception, and he just has not been very good this year. 60.5% completion percentage, not good enough, not going to get the job done. Miami Dolphins, 70 points in an NFL game. That's unheard of. Finally, there is one NFL topic that I would be remiss if I did not talk about It's the biggest topic in the NFL. There is no doubt about it. Bigger than the Dallas Cowboys. Bigger than the San Francisco 49ers. Bigger than whatever. It is the budding, beautiful, sweet romance of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. And I've largely decided to stay out of this conversation because I didn't know what I had to add. But when I saw Taylor Swift in that suite with lovely Donna Kelsey on Sunday... What they say about the Grinch, his heart grew three sizes that day. My heart grew three sizes today, okay? Bottom line, let me say this about the Travis, uh, Travis Kelsey, K- Taylor Swift stuff. A couple things come to mind. The first thing that definitely comes to mind, I kind of got the sense just reading these reports, something was going on, right? Like they were claiming there was nothing going on. Jason Kelsey says something, then he retracts it. Travis Kelsey says, I saw her at Arrowhead, so I want her to come see me. And then Taylor Swift, there's a report. Oh, it's her hot girl summer. She's not really that into dating right now. She's just trying to have fun, blah, 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 this and that. I kind of got the sense that there was something else going on. Well, there is definitely something going on, and I'll tell you why, okay? So I'm a man in my 30s. Happily married, let the record show. When you go support a male or female, whatever, and mom is involved, Oh, that's a serious thing. So they can tell us, oh, it's not a big deal. But when mom is involved and you're in your 30s, oh, that thing is serious. So shout out to Travis Kelsey because you can play the game. Taylor Swift, you can play the game. 
But we know this is a serious thing as Taylor Swift was seen at the Chiefs game with Travis Kelsey's mom. By the way, shout out to Donna Kelsey. Big year for Donna Kelsey, uh, who, of course, had two sons playing in the Super Bowl. Last couple thoughts, because I don't think you care that much about Taurus talking Taylor Swift. But a couple things stand out. One, I think realistically we know how this is going to end. It's going to end poorly for their relationship. We're going to get a banger of a song out of it. And Taylor Swift's going to make another $5 billion out of it. Which brings me to my last point, which is this. Travis Kelsey, if I can give you one piece of advice, man to man, friend to friend. Not sure if you listen to the Aaron Torres pod, but if you don't, you probably should be. My one piece of advice is pretty straightforward. Hold on for dear life. Hold on for dear life. Because here's the bottom line. Remember Travis Kelsey this offseason was talking about how other guys have gotten paid more but he had to take less to stay in KC. But he said, it's worth it. We win a lot, blah, 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 this and that. Bottom line is he's 33 years old. He's got two, maybe three more good years. Taylor Swift, looked it up before we started the segment, is worth like almost $800 million. Her net worth increased by $200 million this summer. She created a billion dollars worth of revenue for the United States at a time when we kind of need it, but that's we don't do politics on this show. And she has like 50 years left in her career if she wants. I mean, I'm not great at math, but if she's worth $800 million at 33, 34 years old, and she keeps going, I mean, we're talking billions with a B. We're talking Travis Kelsey. You never have to catch another touchdown pass. You never have to go over the middle. You never have to get hit by a safety. You can pretty much play golf every day the rest of your life. So Travis Kelsey, you have been handed a gift from the gods. Do not screw this up. Your mom obviously likes her. She likes you. Towards the end of your career, it's time to start thinking about your future, Travis Kelsey. Time to start thinking about your future. Hold on for dear life, my friend. Do not let go of this one. She seems like a keeper. At least she would be to me. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Long Monday episode, but always fun. And you talk about range on a show to go from Ryan Day and Lou Holtz to Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Only Torres could provide that for you. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're following on YouTube. Subscribe. We're closing in on 27,000 followers. Cannot thank you enough for your support. If you're not following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Pod on TikTok. I think that's it. Time for me to go. I'm getting a little delirious. Talking about relationship advice and Taylor Swift. I'm out. Shout out to Torin Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Wednesday. New episode, Aaron Torres, Sports Podcast.